We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. Amen. If you would, uh, turn to your listening sheet. We're going to read aloud 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 6 through 10. The reverse for the week was a little bit longer, started in verse 1 and went from verse 1 through 10, and we'll read aloud uh, starting in 6. So let's stand together. Yes, we do. This then is the text for today. The priests stood at their posts, and the Levites also, with the instruments of music to the Lord, which King David had made for giving praise to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Whenever he gave praise by their means, while the priests on the other side blew trumpets, and all Israel was standing. Then Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered the burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to contain the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fat. So Solomon observed the feast at that time for seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great assembly who came to the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. On the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly for the dedication of the altar. They observed seven days and the feast seven days. Then on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their tents, rejoicing and happy of heart because of the goodness that the Lord had shown to David and to Solomon and to his people. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, typically we define fires by the combustible material that they consume. So one type of fire is, is a fire that consumes wood, right? And then we have other types of fires and fires that consume gases or another type of fire. And we classify fires in these ways by their fuels because we want to know the best way to extinguish those fires when it is necessary. And so we classify them and we get ready for them so that we might put them out. But we do know, on the other hand, that there are fires that we never want to put out. We know in the physical, in the temporary, there are fires of warmth that we cling to in the winter. The same way, we, we know in this world it gets dark and there are fires that we cling to when it is nighttime. And in the same way, there, there are fires that come down from heaven and live in our hearts that we never want extinguished because they are of the Lord and we want them to remain. And we know, as we read through 2 Chronicles chapter 7, as we've seen throughout the Old Testament, the fire of the Lord is important. The fire of the Lord is marking something critical. And we see at the very beginning of our reverse text for this week in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, the fire of heaven descends upon the temple, descends upon the people in this holy moment. In fact, this is like others in, in Israel's history. The sort of flame of heavenly guidance that's necessary 
to walk through the darkness of this world. And so it was that day as they came together to dedicate the temple under Solomon's leadership. The fire of the Lord visited. And we know there's other times in Scripture, too. We, we know like that famous moment we remember Elijah who stood before the prophets of Baal. And as he stood before them, he said, who is the God? Who is the God of all the universe? Who is the God that holds the power of creation in his hand? And, and we know that, that Israel was stuck at a moment of crisis. In fact, at this moment, Israel didn't know which way to turn. Were they going to turn to the Lord who delivered them from Egypt? Or are they going to turn to Baal, the, the God of these other? folks that were around them, and they didn't know which way to turn. And Elijah stood there as the prophet of God before them, and he says, we will call down fire upon the sacrifices to know who the Lord God is. 450 prophets of Baal stand there and called out all day long to say, come, bring fire. In fact, we know that about halfway through the day, Elijah even begins to mock them. He says, oh, where is your God? Maybe he's out at lunch, or maybe he's still sleeping. And they keep going hours and hours Nothing comes. But there's a moment where Elijah, the prophet of God, stands and calls down the fire of heaven. We see it in 1 Kings chapter 18. Let me, let me read with you verses 37 and 38. Answer me, O Lord. So this is, this is Elijah. He's standing there with everybody watching. They have seen Baal uh, falter. And so he says, answer me, Lord that this people, says so that your people, so that they will know you and experience you. They, they are lost, and they need to know your power, Lord. And he says, so that they may know you, and that they know that, that you, Lord God, are God, and that, that you are the ones who've turned their hearts back again. And then verse 38, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and, and the wood and the stones and the dust and even licked up the water that was in the trench that surrounded it. The fires of the Lord fell. And see, we, we see this. It was happened at critical moments in the Old Testament. So uh, this wasn't the first time when it happened and Elijah called down the fires from heaven. It wasn't the first time before when, when Solomon prayed and the fires of heaven came down. In fact, we see also earlier in Leviticus chapter 9, Aaron and his sons. They had consecrated themselves, and they had been with Moses, and they had consecrated themselves for worship. They had prepared their hearts. They had purified themselves. And Aaron and Moses prayed to the Lord, and fire fell from heaven to consume the sacrifices of their consecrated hearts. And in fact, that's where I want us to focus in on, on where Israel was at this moment. It's the same place that, that Solomon was and Elijah was and, and the same place that Aaron and Moses were. Their hearts were right before the Lord. They had been consecrated. They had been repented. And they had come before Lord saying, Lord, we have come to worship you and to know your power. And what we recognize for, for the consecrated, for those who have been repentant, the fires of God are powerful representations of life and what's ahead for them. But there's another side of that story to those that are unrepentant, to those who don't know the Lord, to those who are not in the family of God. When, when those fires come down and they look into the flames, all they see is death. In fact, to the unrepentant, the fires of God are a place of torment. These fires from heaven are intense and destructive. In fact, this, this becomes a moment where we want to classify the fire so that we can extinguish it. And all who unbelieve do everything that they can in their power to extinguish the fires of God. But to the believer, we always want the fire to burn. 
because we know that fire that descends from heaven is a refining fire that points us forward and reveals where God resides. And that's what we need and that's what we want and that's what we're hoping for this morning, the power of God to descend and show us a way forward and show us where he resides. And so let's call out to God together for that fire to come and be purified so that we might see heaven together. You know, for, for Aaron, for Solomon, for Elijah, the fire was preserving. And, and in fact, the, the fire strengthened their faith in God. It, it built them up in, in their relationship with the Lord. And though we might not always see the fire burning brightly on this side of heaven, we know that it burns brightly in eternity. And we know it burns brightly in our hearts. Just like those two on their walk to Emmaus when they met with Jesus, what did they say? They said, our heart was burning within us when we heard the voice of the Christ. And so, so with them together, so with, with our family that extends through generations, back, back to Aaron and, and, and back to Solomon and back to Elijah, with them we proclaim together that his loving kindness is everlasting that the fires of God's loving kindness never go out, and they are purifying, and they are hopeful. You know, it's interesting, too, that these fires that, that were witnessed that day in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, in our reverse text for this week, it says something very specific, and, and, and it's unique to what's happening here. It says, as the fires descended down, all of Israel sought. And it's not because it was an incredible display that covered the nation, but in fact, the, the other way, all of Israel had gathered together. They, they knew it in their hearts that they needed to be there at the dedication of the temple, that, that in their own way, they, they had gotten right with God. And they had the Ark of the Covenant with them. And this is one of those rare moments where the collective heart of Israel is beating together. And they're seeking the Lord together. And they're worshiping together. And, and that in and of itself is incredible. And, you know, it, it makes us long for what we might see one day. It makes us, it, it makes us have hope for, for a nation that, that maybe we could come together and, and, and through all of the things that divide us, be united in worship of the Lord. You know, in fact, we've, we've hoped with the Lord that through the pandemic, it might spark a holy revival. Though it appears our flesh is fighting it. You know, we as a country refuse to acknowledge that it is the Lord that has pulled us through. It is the Lord that is building us up. It is the Lord who has given us everything that we have ever had. And it is the Lord that is bringing us through this pandemic. In fact, until we find ourselves in, in repentance for this selfishness, we'll never be prepared for worship together. We'll never be consecrated to experience the fire fall from heaven together. You know, another piece of this puzzle is it, it was unique and inspiring that all of Israel had, had showed up to worship the Lord that day. But, but when, when I say all, this is, not, this is not all in parentheses, but this is, this is all of Israel, including the leadership of Israel and including King Solomon, who wasn't just there for a photo op that day. This, this wasn't just for the media tour, but Solomon himself, the leader of the nation, came and laid himself before the people and before God, and he brought in the offerings. He, he became the, the leader of worship in the country, falling down before God. 
And this wasn't just for showmanship. This was a political leader standing as the chief worshiper of the people. It's just like the prophet Ezekiel calls for. We get to Ezekiel 40 and we work through that. You see Ezekiel is calling for the, the national leader to be the example of worship. And he's saying, how would we be and what would we be if we had political leaders who are examples of worship? Life would change dramatically. Then here is Solomon down on his face before God and before everybody being a chief worshiper. And he wasn't the one leading the worship, but he was the example of worship. The one who worships first and foremost on his knees, crying out to God, coming in, providing sacrifices, and leaning not on his own understanding, but trusting in the Lord. You know, this is a beautiful example that's rarely lived out in life, and it's even rarely lived out in Scripture, but this is one of those moments where the king gets it right and God blesses them with his power. You see, Solomon is living this out as an ordained king of God, and he's connected with his people in worship. And may we find these kinds of connections with, with our leaders, because what you see as this text unfolds is this threefold worship. It, it's, it's the leadership, and it's the people. They come together in one accord because they're all looking up to the Lord, saying, His loving kindness is everlasting. The, the, the leadership and the people are recognizing it is God who has blessed us. It is God who has brought us through. It is God who has made this right. And all of them in unison look up and sing, His love is everlasting. They are thanking Him and worshiping him in that same breath. May it be so here. May we recognize that there is only one who reigns over us, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we look up this morning with Solomon. May we look up with the nation of Israel this morning. May we look up with the apostles and, and glorify God, having our worship filled with spirit and truth, proclaiming that same message they proclaimed generations ago, his loving kindness is everlasting. May it be on our lips forevermore. You know, there's another connection as you work down through this text that I hope you don't miss. As we, as we come to verse 9, as we move into verse 10, it's easy to miss that there's actually two celebrations that are happening at once here. It, it's coming together for one fantastic fortnight. You see, in, in verse 9, it tells us there was a week-long feast, and, and this week-long feast included sacrifices. The Day of Atonement would have been included in there. And they're celebrating the, the dedication of the temple. And then there's this other week-long feast. It's the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so in the midst of all of this, they're filling the, the temple with music and sacrifice, singing His loving kindness is everlasting. They're, they're bringing it unto the Lord. In fact, as it stands in all of the, these moments of worship, you know, each commentary said something different about, about the numbers of animals that they're bringing in for sacrifice. But... They're offering something like 20 sacrifices a minute, 10 hours a day. And it began with Solomon, the leader, to say, I'm going to bring my sacrifice in. And all the people brought their best to the Lord. Their first fruits were laid out before God, and as a nation they experienced together. And, and in their sacrifice, they experienced the power of God. And, and may it be so here, in our sacrifices, we give up of ourselves. May we experience the power of the Lord together. And so they dedicate the temple in this double celebration. They, they pr proceed into this Feast of the Tabernacles. And this, is, this is one of three annual feasts that, that all of Israel is expected to participate in. This is the one that happens in autumn. And in this one, it's connected with a particular uh, tragic point in their history. So at the Feast of Tabernacles, they're all to gather together, and they're to essentially live in tents. 
or to live in temporary structures for a week. And the way they do this is they, they would get branches and sticks and, and build them up into a temporary home, and they had to live in that temporary home all week long. And this was the point back, because what they knew is they, they were living out the history of where they had come. They were recognizing that the Lord is the one who had delivered them from Egypt and brought them to the promised land, where they reside now, where they could build the temple. But there was a day they didn't have the promised land. There was a day they didn't have the temple, and they were remembering when we, when we came out of Egypt and we went into the wilderness wanderings, we, we were living in a way that was temporary. We were living in, in shelters made out of branches, and the Lord brought us through. And so now they're remembering that, and they're looking back on it, and they're saying, His loving kindness is everlasting. He is the one that's brought us through. He said, even now, as they celebrated their cherished new golden house that was housing the Ark of the Covenant, they, they also remembered that, that they were ones, and the Ark was one that once lived in tents and pushed its way through the wilderness. And they did this following the cloud of God by day and the fire of God by night. And so they're connecting with their history, and they're connecting with where they came from, and they're praising the Lord every step of the way. They said, it doesn't matter at what point in our history we refer back to, we can see the hand of God over it. And you know, you could say the same thing about this church, that we've been here for 160 years. We're celebrating our 160th birthday this year. And as we do that together, every moment along the way, you can see the hand of God protecting and guiding this church forward. And we say, praise His holy name. His loving kindness is everlasting. You see, what they recognized then and why they celebrated they, as they did for two full weeks, we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful that the Lord has delivered us. And at the same time, they were hearing this as a moment of warning. That what you recognize is when you fall into disobedience, you will end up in captivity again. In fact, Solomon has already prayed this in one way or another. And, and my prayer is that we hear this warning in the same way. And he says, you, you know, they, they were living in a tent for a week so that they could recognize we will forever praise the Lord God above. And they were celebrating in these ways so that they could remember who God was and what he had done for them. Because if they forgot... And when they forgot, the, the punishment of God would come down in fiery wrath. And so I pray that we remember in the same way that all that we have is a direct result of the blessing and hand of God. That none of this is by our own, but by the hand of God we have been delivered, not by human hands, but by the Lord God above. And in the same way that Israel experienced if we refuse to obey and if we refuse to remember the Lord, we will find ourselves too closely connected with Israel's exile, knowing our own, a modern people disconnected from God by their own disobedience. You know, Israel in this timeline, after Second Chronicles chapter 7, they would soon miss this note. In fact, this, you could make the case where we are in Second Chronicles 7 is the height of the nation of Israel. You could make the case that it's pretty much all downhill from here, and they're going to fall into exile, and they're going to fall into disobedience. They're going to fall into pain. In fact, they're going to lose the temple and rebuild the temple and lose the temple again, and they're going to struggle to find their footing in obedience to the God above. But may we not miss it again. But instead, let us continue to proclaim with the angels of God that his loving kindness is everlasting, and that we will thank him and we will be obedient to him from this day forward. We will be his people. 
You know, as we come to the end of this reverse section in verse 10, we, we come to verse 10, and, and we get this reminder, and it's, it's Solomon reminding the people. It's also Solomon reminding himself. In fact, the, the name David shows up again. And, and Solomon was reminded of the work of his father, and, and the nation of Israel is reminded of the work of David. And we're reminded that the loving kindness of God presses on through the lineage of family. In fact, what we recognize is we, we go through our own kind of family history book here. We go all the way back, Adam and Eve at the beginning, and then we move forward in Genesis and we find Abraham and Sarah. And one of the most powerful moments in all of Scripture is when God tells Abraham that it is from your family, it's from your lineage that, that the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And, and this powerful moment, it happens in Genesis chapter 22, and it's that same moment where they're on Mount Moriah, and, and, and Abraham's about to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, and God intervenes and provides a ram for sacrifice, and God tells Abraham, I'm so pleased with your obedience, and just know that the promise remains that out of your lineage, the nations will be blessed forever. And, and we know how, how this happens. We see the nation of Israel begins to rise out of Abraham. And in fact, as it rises out, we see the, the nation of Israel peak in, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. See the geography mentioned here and, and all of the resources that, that are mentioned here are, are just incredible. They're, they're, they're a height of national resources. But what we recognize even in that is that God's promise to Abraham wasn't about a national uh, prominence. That's not what God meant. It's a similar thing that, that God reminds them here of David in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. See, see, God had promised David long ago, and we saw it earlier in 2 Chronicles and earlier in 1 Chronicles, that, that God reminds David that, that there's a real blessing to come. And it's not about the nation per se, but this is about a king, and this is about the king of kings. In fact, the, the, the king that is coming, the, he, he tells David, God tells David, you will have a, an heir on the throne forever. And, and Solomon prays in the same kind of way, God, we know that you have promised my father David that he will have a throne. In fact, he will have an heir on this throne that lasts for eternity. And God, we are holding you to that, and we recognize that a king is coming that's unlike any other king that's been on the face of this earth. In fact, what Solomon even recognizes that, that he's just a representation of this eternal throne. He wasn't the king of kings. He wasn't the king that is coming, but is somebody greater. And what we know today, what we know through Scripture and through the story of our family as we move from the Old Testament into the New Testament and the family of God is that what God was promising Abraham is the same thing God was promising David. And it all came to fruition a millennia later in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our King of kings and Lord of lords. He was the one, the coming king, the one they were looking forward to. And you know, the great blessing of the age that we live in now is that we get to experience and know the Christ. We get to see him and hear him in, in the word of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we are at a real advantage here that we get to meet with Jesus Christ personally. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity where we're going to eat with the Christ together. And, and in these moments, we recognize that, that Jesus Christ is, is with us, the, the children of God, those that have surrendered to him, and he stands with us in the trenches of battle. And at the same time, he, he stands with us when we are at rest, knowing peace on every side. 
And, and what we recognize as we flip through the pages of Scripture is that all these stories are interconnected. And every one of them point to the lasting, interconnected, loving kindness of God that he has never left his people. And even though there were times where he had to punish them for their disobedience, God was with them and he was renewed in their repentance. And so all of this is their story, but it is our story in the person of Jesus Christ. He was the fulfillment of it all. And now we're given the opportunity to surrender our lives to the Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And what we recognize as, as, as the story unfolds, and we know the rest of the story with, with Solomon, that he would fall apart and that nation would fall apart because they were mortal. Solomon was a leader who would fail them. But what we recognize in the person of Jesus Christ is that he's never going to fail us. And it doesn't matter how many worldly leaders, political leaders, kings, or presidents walk on the face of this earth. Every one of them are going to fail us, but Jesus Christ will never fail us. He will always stand true. And so it is before us this morning. Who have we surrendered to, the Christ or someone else? The Lord God above our Creator or Baal? Who are you committing your life to this morning? Because daily we make a decision. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Who will you serve this day? First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.